0: Sometimes when I look at TV, I see those kids with runny nose, with flies all over the place. I tell myself I could have been one of them. How, good Lord, why did you make this exception uh, to bring me to United States? So it's just common sense for me, who have been so much blessed, to try to give something worthwhile back to my country. So. I am not really too concerned about the danger.
1: Daniel Shungu is a guy who does things with a purpose and takes advantage of his opportunities. More than that, he sees purpose in the things that happen in his life. He comes to the U.S. for the purpose of getting an education. He studies medicine and laboratory sciences for the purpose of bringing those skills back to the Congo. And when a pleasant surprise leads him to an early retirement, well, that is a calling for him to give back to the DRC. From his two story house, just outside of Princeton, New Jersey, Daniel runs an organization that provides treatment for people with river blindness in the Democratic Republic of Congo. River blindness is a parasitic disease that, if left untreated, can cause permanent blindness. His house is only a short drive away from the train station where I met him to find out more about how a man born in the Congo came to run a nonprofit helping people in the Congo from this New Jersey suburban neighborhood.
0: Daniel? Great. Yes. Hello. Nice to meet you. you. <laughs> I thought this would be easier since we never met before.
1: My name is Greg Porter, and you are listening to the End Funds Listening Tour, a podcast where we hear the stories of people working around the world to end neglected tropical diseases. This week, we explore Daniel Shungu's work for Ufar in the Democratic Republic of Congo. One of the things that is immediately clear when you meet Daniel is that he's passionate about his work. He also has a pretty cheery attitude. You hear this laugh often when talking to him. (laughs) Daniel was born in the Congo, but he came to the United States in 1962 for a
0: high school exchange program. Several churches in the United States uh, decided to participate in an exchange program. Students will come from Europe and also from Africa and live with an American family for a year and and attending a local high school. Uh, My high school uh, in the Congo that was founded and also run by American missionaries uh, is, uh, chose me, chose me to participate uh, in this uh, program. At this point in his life, He didn't really know English that well, but he didn't let that hold him back. Of course, I was excited. And uh, since I was determined to make it, I was determined to make it, I was prepared to face uh, any kind of challenge, any kind of obstacle, including the language, including the weather, (laughs) including the food.
1: (laughs) Past being in upstate New York for his first ever cold winter, he had to face the challenges of living in the U.S. as an African immigrant in the 1960s.
0: Uh, in the 60s, there was quite a bit of discrimination. Not so much um, uh, in the academic setting, but sometimes when I traveled, when I traveled during the summer, I faced some of the discrimination. And there again, because of my Christian upbringing, I was able really to take it easy. In fact, I was just. Uh, feeling sorry for those who were discriminating me, I guess.
1: Around this time in the DRC, there was a lot of violence. And because of that, the church that originally brought him here to study in high school decided to sponsor him so that he could study at an American
0: university. He went to a small school in Michigan
1: and studied pre-med.
0: The calling, I guess, uh, I've been uh, quite interested in the field. And also looking back uh, the way things were in the Congo and also the fact that I have a brother uh, who is uh, completely paralyzed from polio. After he finished his undergrad, he went back to
1: the Congo to teach at his old school for a year.
0: Now that I got uh, an American degree in liberal art, the least I can do to go back and and teach my... uh, My brother and the sisters at the same school uh, taught them physics and chemistry.
1: But then he came back to the U.S. to continue studying sciences for his master's degree. He got his Ph.D. at the University of Maryland and after that started a program to learn how to run clinical labs at Temple University in Philadelphia. And all of this was for the goal of bringing the skills that he was developing back to the DRC.
0: What I really wanted to do is to go into laboratory medicine because uh, not just in the Congo, many of the third world countries, physicians treat disease based on past experience, okay? But treating disease based on laboratory results, diagnostic results, especially in the area of infectious disease is critical. So I really wanted to go into uh, laboratory medicine, and with the goal of going back and establishing a state-of-the-art diagnostic center. That was really my uh, ultimate goal.
1: And as he was finishing his last degree, there was an opportunity for him to go back to the Congo. But life had other
0: plans. There was a group of 20 American physicians who were invited by the president, Mobutu, to modernize the number one hospital in Kinshasa so one of those physicians actually came from Philadelphia so he was quite aware of the program I was uh, completing at temple he said Daniel you got to come back here and work with us we need you I said yes I'm going to come back unfortunately after I came back to temple to complete the, the, uh, the program the 20 or so physicians who were invited by the president left the country overnight. And the person who was talking me into joining them actually wrote me from McGill University in Canada. He said, Daniel, forget it. We were forced, we were forced to leave the country. Why? Because a friend of the president, who was only a nurse, saw a golden opportunity to make a lot of money because WHO was funding this project to modernize this hospital in Kinshasa. So he actually uh, said these 20 physicians are on the way for him to become become rich. So uh, they were forced to leave the country. Uh, I I was disappointed. I was very disappointed because I was all for it to go back. But guess what? Around the same time, Temple received this letter from Merck.
1: He got a job running clinical labs at Merck, the large pharmaceutical company, and he worked there for the next 20 years. He got married and had two sons. But then, in 2003, his youngest son got a great surprise that would make him rethink his career.
0: My second son, Nick, got accepted at Duke with a fantastic scholarship. So being a Christian, I told myself that there is a story there's a message behind this wonderful news, okay? This is too good to be true. I found myself not having to come up with $50,000 to pay for my kids' education. So I told Merck that I was going to take a quick trip to the Congo, um, about a week or two weeks. So I had a chance to meet with the Minister of Health the second day after I got in Kinshasa. And I told the Minister of Health I've been in the United States for so long and um, my heart has never uh, left this country. I'm back. From your perspective as a Minister of Health, what can I do that will be worthwhile? Without hesitating, he said, river blindness. He said, river blindness.
1: The Ministry of Health then helped coordinate a trip for Daniel so he could see the effects of river blindness firsthand.
0: He called uh, another doctor who was doing a beautiful job with this medicine distribution. He told him, uh, Dr. Tumba, he said, Dr. Tumba, uh, Dr. Shongo is coming to visit uh, his family in Kananga. That's another province altogether. I would like you to take him on a field trip. So when I went to Kananga to visit with my parents, Dr. Tumba arranged for me to go on a 12-day field trip gone from a major city, the capital, uh, the provincial capital city, 300 miles away, facing all kinds of challenges. We started with a land cruiser. Somewhere along the way, we had to abandon the land cruiser because the road became <laughs> unbelievable. So we had to go to use the motorcycles and bicycles and so on and so forth. Lots and lots of rivers without bridges. So that was very, very challenging. But, although I have read about this disease in in medical textbook, it was the first time that I saw, with my own eyes, uh, 50, 60 percent of the adults in a village completely blind.
1: River blindness prevents people from working and traps them in a cycle of poverty. About 40 million people require treatment for this disease in the DRC.
0: And what really touched my heart is seeing, once again, I saw them in medical textbook, three or four blinds being led by a youngster. Okay, that really touched my heart. What does that mean? This youngster will not be able to attend school. He spends all day taking care of the blind adults. Okay, that really convinced me.
1: He came back and filed the paperwork to start UFAR in 2004. By 2005, he had registered in the DRC. Daniel is an active member of his church in New Jersey, and they supported his organization from the beginning. It started out small at first, just in one region.
0: The very first year, um, the Minister of Health asked me to support one project, the so called Kasongo Project. And then, there were other projects that were not doing as well. And being a native and supporting one project, there were a lot of demands uh, why don't you come and help us? Why don't you come and help us? And so on and so forth. And that's when, fortunately, some of the other NGOs that have never been involved in DRC, okay started asking, can we establish some kind of partnership with UFA? The African branch of WHO that was really supporting project in Africa was going to stop supporting project in December 2015. That was actually planned way ahead of time that they were going to uh, stop supporting this project in 2015. So with the departure of APOC, There was a a gap. Some of these projects were going to lose the gain that they have been able to accomplish over the years.
1: And Daniel was able to take this opportunity and expand UFAR. Now, he has three doctors, a country representative, and a couple more employees working in the DRC.
0: And by expanding, we are covering uh, a much larger population. So. We don't want to leave anybody behind. (laughs) One of the things that makes
1: Ufar and Daniel particularly special is their willingness to go where they're needed. In a recent trip, he traveled for two days and more than 700 kilometers, just so he could see the horrible effects of river blindness in one village.
0: I have heard about this Mbangunbangu village, Okay, Mbangunbangu is the epicenter has the largest population of blind people in the Congo. We have to, uh, we have to cover, uh, what was it, close to 700 kilometers, okay? Going from Loja to Bango Bango. The, you you should see the pictures.
1: If you want to see the pictures, Uh, check out our website at end.org slash Daniel Shungu.
0: The Land Cruiser, that I rented was able to go all the way to a bango, bango. We got stuck here and there. We got stuck. <laughs> stuck in mud. Uh, stuck because there were trees that fell across the road. We did not have the, uh, <laughs> in French they call, call it trasones.
1: That is a chainsaw. Uh, um,
0: some of the bridges left much to be desired. So. You, we all have to get out of the truck, okay? And the, uh, the driver, with the assistant driver, then they guide each other, okay? There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a tree here, a tree here, so the assistant driver must gui- guide the driver so that he can go just <laughs> on those two trees. And
1: as always, he sees was, purpose and opportunity in his trip. I want to find more ways to help people who have
0: already lost their sight from river blindness. Let's not forget those who are already blind. Such as in Bagumbango, dozens and dozens of people who are already blind, they are completely useless to themselves, to their family, to the village, to the country. Okay? Why not uh, try to teach them some kind of trade? That's exactly what uh, South Savior is doing. They have asked me to visit one of the program in other country, but I have not done it. I really wanted to go to a Bango Bango first and see things with my own eyes. They would be able to establish a state of the art facilities that would be involved not only to continue preventing blindness but to look after those who are already blind. That to me it's it's going to be the last phase of my life. I really would like something done. And with all this work, the travel, constantly trying to find
1: new opportunities to provide better services, Daniel has some pretty good reasons he keeps going.
0: It's something that really I cannot describe and bring me happiness. It's all worth it. All these hours that I spent on the road, it's all worth it. It's very easy to forget that. That's why I really loved going back to to the Congo, three, four, five times a year, because of uh, the satisfaction, the the kind of gratitude that these kids, uh, and also adults, are expressing. It's really, uh, I, I cannot describe it.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Listening Tour. The Listening Tour is a production of The End Fund. Special thanks to Daniel Shungu for telling us his
0: story this week and for finishing our interview with this. You cannot come to an African home without eating. (laughs) So I hope you join me for supper. This is
1: all made possible with the generous support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play. If you would like to see pictures from Daniel's most recent trip, go to end.org slash Daniel If you would like more information about Daniel and Ufar, go to riverblindness.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for more updates.